I wanted to uh, begin with a question, just a rhetorical question, and that's, when do you feel most alive? You know, I know a lot of different people have, you know, places or experiences that make them feel alive. Maybe it's, it's you who, you know, you're in a, a stadium and you're surrounded by thousands of cheering, roaring fans, and in that moment, you feel so alive, or... Or maybe it's on the back of a motorcycle or something and you're just cruising through the desert or on the highway and you just feel so, so elated. You feel so alive in that experience. Or maybe it's just like watching the sun slowly dip beneath the horizon. And in that moment, you just, you realize you're alive. You realize maybe your, your finiteness or your smallness as you look up at the, the stars above. But, but strange enough, for, for me, it may sound morbid, but I feel most alive when I'm actually closest to death. That may sound really strange and morbid, right? But I feel most alive when I'm at a hospital or at a cemetery or at a funeral. It sounds really strange. And I've been thinking about this for a long time. Like, why is it that I feel most alive when I'm near death? And I, I don't mean like, oh, I, I feel so alive, like I'm so excited, life is beautiful, the birds are chirping because I'm near death. It's, it's not that experience at all, no. And I would say like, there's, there's been three people this week who have died who are connected to the church or who have moved on to heaven. I don't mean like I'm alive and I feel so elated and so excited, the birds are chirping. I don't mean that. What I mean is that there's something inside of me that when I encounter death, it just feels like I'm touched so deeply. Why does death make me feel so alive? I think it's because it goes against everything in me. It goes against life. It's the opposite of life. And for me, it's actually the opposite of God. Now, tonight in the Gospel of John, we enter into a story of grief, loss, death, and dying. You picked a great night to come, right? Grief, loss, death, and dying. But so, too, this story of grief, loss, death, and dying is also a story of the fullness of life. It brings to our attention the fullness of life that's only found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. So if you're able to stand, why don't you stand with me, and we'll read from our scripture tonight. We do this to revere the word of God, changes lives, it transforms us, leads us, and guides us. This is what John 11, verses 1 through 3 says. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Father, we thank you for tonight. And we thank you for the text of John 11. We thank you, Lord, even for the challenge of grief, loss, death, and dying. For in it we have hope because we know you have overcome the grave. And in you is the fullness of life. So we fixate our eyes on you, Jesus. We love you. 
and we need you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And go ahead and, and open your Bibles with me if you would. There's some Bibles in the back or you can... Pull it up on the Journey app. We have a Bible translation there as well. But this is what it says. You can follow along on the screen. Verse 1a, a man named Lazarus was sick. Interestingly enough, this is the first time we meet Lazarus in the Gospel of John. A bad day to meet him too. He's sick. No big deal, though, right? You know, if someone's sick, just, you know, just take a sick day or use that PTO if you have to. You know, get some R&R, take some Pepto-Bismol or Robitussin, whatever you have to do. Well, actually, in the ancient world, sickness often meant death. Sickness often meant death over 2,000 years ago, you know, apart from the innovations of modern medicine that we have today. Sickness often meant death. Perhaps to maybe put this in a little bit of perspective tonight, during the the first four days of February of this year, 2018, my wife, my pregnant wife, developed preeclampsia and HELP syndrome, H-E-L-L-P. It means something like the breaking down of your red blood cells, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelet count. It's really not good. Essentially, your body becomes allergic to the baby inside of you. And this is like at the beginning of the third trimester when this often happens. And, and they don't really know why this happens. Strangely enough, apparently this syndrome, it was first described in 1982. Some of you guys were around and remember 1982. Some of us were not that fortunate enough to experience uh, the full gamut of the 80s. But uh, if we were in pre-1982 times, chances are Tara and Zeke, as you'll see on the screen here, they, they probably wouldn't be here today, pre-1982. That's crazy, right? That this sickness would often lead to death. Here he is like a couple of, of weeks ago looking uh, a little bit bigger than he did. <laughs> a little bit bigger. Yeah, look at that guy. I got to show you just one more, uh, one more, one more. It's a little video. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, there he is. Fifteen minutes long, so yeah, pretty cool, right? I looked at your faces, and I don't think anyone was frowning. Even though we're talking about grief, loss, death, and dying, you can't really frown when you see something like that and hear that high-pitched squeal right there, like a little pig. Uh, but but Tara and Zeke, pre-1982, if this were to happen, they, they might not be here. The sickness would often lead to death. And you know, that's actually the language of the Psalms, sickness leading to death. Back thousands of years before Lazarus, 
What I want to do tonight, I want uh, three fearless volunteers who know how to read. Okay? Can I get three fearless volunteers? All right, Jake, come on up. You didn't know you were coming up. All right, Kyle, and one, we need a lady. Come on, someone from the ladies group. All right, we got Nicole. Come on up. Give it up for these three fearless volunteers. You can come up on the stage, too. Bring your Bible. Bring a Bible. Bring a Bible. Or you can just use mine, actually. That's fine. Uh, so what I'm going to have you do, Jake, since you know how to read. You do know how to read, right? All right, go ahead and take the mic. We're going to turn in our Bibles. If you've got your Bibles out there, turn with us to Psalm 41. And we're going to hear about this sickness leading to death. Here you go, Psalm 41. Okay. Psalm 41. Yep. The whole thing? Yep. All the... Keep talking in that. Yeah, yeah. Press it again. No, no, no. Now you just muted it. And Alicia, can you unmute that? Thanks. She might know how to do it. Nope. Gerard, do you know how to unmute that? All right. There we go. Go ahead, Jake. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. Oh Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. All right, pause real quick. You guys listening? You still following me? All right, uh, you're sick. That's what it says, all right? So read it like you're sick. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> Go ahead, not like that, not like that. Just like you're crying out in pain. I don't, we don't need to get oh, that Lord. dramatic, dude. But oh, Go ahead. Lord. Mike I prayed. Put the mic. Okay. Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as if they were my friends. But all the while, they gather gossip. And when they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Lord, have mercy on me. Make me well again so I can pay them back. I know you are, not, I know you are pleased with me. You have not let my enemies triumph over me. All right, give it up for Jake. Pass that next. All right, next up we got Nicole. That was pretty good. That was kind of dramatic, but uh, Nicole has been trained on Broadway, so she knows. All right, go ahead. Psalm 88. You got it? She's sick. See that? All right, she is sick. Go ahead. Oh, Lord. Okay. A song, a psalm's of the song... The yeah, you, should, you can go ahead and read the first okay. one. That's good. <laughs> Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to, I cry out to you. May my prayers come before you. Does she you. sound too happy or what? You're crying out. Go ahead. Try again. Oh. No, I shouldn't raise my hand. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. 
I am, over, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry out for your help. Lord, in the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me, friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Wow. Someone who's having a really bad day right there. Give it up for Nicole. That was pretty good. All right, and last, I mean, everyone's all bummed out now. Thanks a lot for that. All right, and our last one, Psalm 38. We want to hear what it's like for this person who's at last gasp. Go ahead. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long, I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my, lying, all my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who want to kill me set traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. And long, and day, all day long, they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord, my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. For I am about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me. 
though I seek only to do what is good. Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. Thanks, Kyle. Man. So now that everyone's bummed out, that's what it's like to be in the shoes of someone who's dealing with grave sickness or grave illness. And you might be in here tonight. Maybe you're hearing these words and you're like, yeah, that's me, racked with back pain or suffering or, or, or feeling like no one's there for me. We're going to talk about that tonight with this man, Lazarus. The sickness in the ancient world, it often meant death. So the outlook for Lazarus, when we find out initially that Lazarus is sick, is very bleak. It's not good. Verses 1 through 2a says, A man named Lazarus was sick, and sickness often meant death. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is also the first time that we meet Mary and Martha in John's Gospel 2. Verse 2 says, This is the Mary who poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. So Mary, she will take this 12-ounce expensive jar of perfume. It's spikenard perfume. She'll break it open in John 12.3. We haven't gotten there yet. But she's going to pour it on his feet and proceed to wipe them dry, says the Greek. Wipe them dry with her hair. Now that's an awkward situation to be in at a dinner party, right? Someone's doing that. That's kind of weird, but, but that's Mary for you. Verse 2b through 3 says, her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So there's some unknown backstory here. If this is the first time that we heard about Lazarus and Mary and Martha, we have to assume that there's a backstory here, that, that this isn't just fan mail that Jesus is receiving. It's not just like a letter from fan Mary and fan Martha about this super fan Lazarus. No, there's some relationship with Jesus here, a deep, loving friendship going on here. And I want to ask you to talk to the people around you at your table and address the following question. What do you do when you hear that a dear friend of yours is very sick? Ready to go. How many of you guys said uh, you would bring him chicken noodle soup? Good friends. How about, uh, you, know, you know, you would like bring them groceries or something like that? Anyone? Great friends. Who said they would do nothing? At least you're honest, right? I heard a couple people up front, they said, I don't do anything. I don't care. They're sick, whatever. Uh, but, you know, your response or the response of the people at your table, the response that you have given, it might be very Christ-like and, you know, it might be very WWJD-ish. But you might be surprised to see what actually Jesus does here with his dear friend Lazarus who's sick. Verse 4 says, but when Jesus heard about it, that is Lazarus' sickness, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it will happen for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Okay, so the sickness will not end 
in death. Keyword, end. So whatever this means about this sickness will not end in death, whatever is going to happen is going to make Jesus look really good. But what's strange, though, is that ultimately Jesus' miraculous actions here with Lazarus, they lead to his own death. Because his actions with Lazarus, they actually convince the religious authorities to move forward with their plan to kill Jesus. But what's strange, though, is that ultimately, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus' death equals Jesus' glorification. So on one level, the Son of God will receive glory from this because of what he does with Lazarus, while on another level, the Son of God will receive glory from this, that is what he does with Lazarus, because it leads to his own death. And we know that Jesus' death is unlike any other death of any other person. Because as Sky talked about in communion tonight, Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. And so when God lays down his life, something happens. And Jesus' death, it brought salvation and forgiveness of sins. One amen. I like it. (laughs) Jesse will do amen for all of us, right? I, I think that's pretty good, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. I mean, I'm happy about that. I don't, maybe it's the death stuff we've been talking about. You're all bummed out still. But what does Jesus actually do when he finds out that Lazarus is sick? What does he actually do? Verses 5 through 6. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Well, that sounds contradictory. You just told us that, that you love Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but what's the holdup here, Jesus? Let's take Jesus aside for just a moment. Let's see what Jesus would maybe argue or could argue. I mean, after all, the memo, it didn't really give much information. It just said, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. They didn't actually specify who it was that was sick, and they didn't actually ask him to come to Bethany at all. But I think it was probably implied. (laughs) Probably assumed that it was Lazarus who was very sick and you should come. But Jesus stays put for the next two days. What's up with that? Verse 7, finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. That is to the village of Bethany where Lazarus was. And you can see it on the screen. It's located in Judea. So here we have a, a blown up picture, and we can zoom in even further on the next slide. Bethany is a village along the Mount of Olives, and it's actually a mere less than two miles away from Jerusalem, the Jerusalem where Jesus was back in John chapter 10, where presumably Jesus still is when he gets word about sick Lazarus. So this is awfully strange, right? What's up with this? He's a mere less than two miles away, and he stays put for two days when his dear friend is very sick? What's up with that? Maybe this lollygagging has something to do with the objection that the disciples raise in the next verse. Verse 8 says, But his disciples objected, Rabbi, 
Only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you betcha. Let's do some more table talk tonight. How willing are you to go into difficult places, situations, and conversations with people? As followers of Jesus, how should we approach these places, situations, and conversations with people? Ready, go. So the other day, Jesus had this hit out on him. You know, the people of Judea wanted to stone him to death. But verse 9 through 10 says, There are 12 hours of daylight every day, Jesus replied. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Okay, cool image, Jesus. But what does that have to do with sick Lazarus? And what does that have to do with these people who want to stone you to death? Well, it has everything to do with Jesus, which the Lazarus story is all about. It has to do with Jesus who is, let us not forget, the light of the world. And if we don't have the light of the world, we are living in complete darkness. But since we have the light of the world, since Jesus is the light of the world here, fear not. We're good. Sticks and stones may break, his, break our bones, but we, we got Jesus, the light of the world. And Jesus, he won't be hindered by whatever dangers Judea holds. Verses 11 through 13, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, uh, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. You know, you just got to sleep it off, you know, pump the fluids in, get extra rest, etc. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. And the confusion comes over this verb in Greek. Koimao. It literally means sleep, but it's often used in the Bible as a euphemism for death. And so that's what the disciples are confused about. That Lazarus is sleeping, but Jesus is talking about Lazarus is not just asleep, he's asleep, asleep, if you know what I mean. He's not counting sheep, he's not snoozing or, or anything like that. He's dead. So he told them plainly in verses 14 and 15, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. The disciples here are undergoing extreme spiritual growth. Have you ever experienced a time period in your life where you just experienced extreme spiritual growth? It probably didn't feel good. I'll tell you that. If you have experienced extreme spiritual growth, it was probably a really, really bad situation that you, by the strength and power of God, had to somehow, by the grace and power of God, overcome. I can think of a couple of different areas in my life. One of my, one of my good friends, one of my closest friends, who was like the, the first string quarterback in our, our ministry that we were a part of in, in college. He, he was older and I looked up to him. He was like the first string quarterback. He was going to be the college pastor. Well, all of a sudden he gets paralyzed in a snowboarding accident. I'm the second string, 19-year-old kid who's in college. How can I lead a college ministry if I'm actually in college? Well, uh, I have to. 
because that's uh, my job now. I'm thrust into a ministry position that I'm not equipped for. It's way over my head. In that time period, extreme spiritual growth took place because God had to do it. God had to stretch and change, and it wasn't fun. I think about the NICU experience that we had just this last year. I didn't know. I just had blind, stupid faith and trust in God. People will ask me, like, well, weren't you nervous or scared? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, probably. But I always just had in my mind that God would prevail and that God would empower us and sustain us, which he did. And then this whole parenting thing. Man, I am not equipped for this. I've learned how to change diapers. I've learned how to, you know, just... I haven't read any books, to be honest with you. I'm a book person, and people have given me so many, so many parenting books. I haven't read, like, a single one. Maybe that would help. But I feel like I'm undergoing extreme spiritual growth with this, learning how to be patient. I thought I was patient. Apparently, I'm not patient. I'm learning to, to be humble. Apparently, I thought I was humble. I'm not humble. I'm learning all of these new things that I thought I had learned. I'm learning them over again and in a different way. Extreme spiritual growth like these disciples are experiencing is not always fun. But it's worth it. And it's good. And I know that you and your walk are, are, are growing. And you, know, you get those growth pains and those aren't very fun sometimes. But it's worth it because you're going to be bigger. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be better than you were before. Who Jesus really is, is continually being expanded and challenged right before their very eyes. Lazarus is dead, but, but Jesus, he said his sickness, it would not end in death. And for our sakes, Jesus, you're glad you weren't there? Well, what does that mean? Be, because now we will really believe he's stretching and challenging their faith. He's leading them in this. Verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. No doubt about it, throughout church history, Thomas has, has gotten a bad rap. Everyone calls him Doubting Thomas. Let's talk about this, this guy. Let's talk about T-Dog. Uh, when Lazarus dies, Jesus decides to go to Bethany to wake him up. Thomas here remarks, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now, it sounds rather pouty after all, right? Well, let's go to and die with Jesus. But he's actually aware of the danger that is facing Jesus. And his words, they reveal a, a pessimism, a realist pessimism. But they also reveal his loyalty to and his solidarity with Jesus. Despite the cost, Despite the difficult place, the difficult situation, the difficult conversations that have to be had, he shows a dedicated loyalty to Jesus, a determination to accompany him. We rag on Thomas all the time, but I think Thomas is here one of the most faithful of the disciples at this point. It's truly commendable. In this verse, Thomas, Thomas here epitomizes. He's the prime example of the obedient disciple. But even in his obedience, he cannot fully understand. He doesn't fully understand what this trip to Judea is all about. He doesn't understand what it will mean for Jesus and the disciples. He has no idea what, what they're getting into. But he's willing to go. 
Yeah, I've never been to San Francisco. Maybe you've been to San Francisco before. I've never been to San Francisco. I've been across the world numerous times, but I've never been to San Francisco. That's kind of a lie because I, in fact, have sort of been in San Francisco, a connecting plane flight to San Francisco, but I've never set foot outside of the airport in San Francisco. But I remember flying into San Francisco. To tell you the truth, I've never seen San Francisco because of the fog. Here I am sitting on an airplane that's descending rapidly, and uh, I can't see San Francisco. My hope and prayer is that the pilots can see San Francisco, or at least the landing strip of San Francisco. And as we drop lower and lower, it's just like a whiteout completely. I, I can't even see out the window. It's just fog everywhere. I'm hoping and praying that all of the instruments, all of the gauges, all of the, the communication that they have back and forth, I hope that it's up to speed and I hope that it works because I can't see where we're going. And I know the pilots, they can't see where we're going either except by the instrumentation that they have. And then all of a sudden, boom, the tires hit the tarmac. And there's that lurch of the plane and the brakes slamming and you're forced forward. And the pilot says, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Welcome to San Francisco. I think that's what it's like for the disciples on this day. They're flying in the dark, unable to see, unable to hear or understand, or ascertain, or put into words what awaits them and what they are about to experience. They're going to travel figuratively to a place that they've never in their lives and experience have been before. They're going to trust in a way that they never in their lives and experience have trusted before. They're going to hope in a manner they never in their lives and experience have hoped before. They're going to believe in a Jesus that they never in their lives and experience have believed before. So with this travel and trust and hope and belief, how will the disciples fare? What's up with Jesus and his actions here? What will we make of Jesus's this sickness will not end in death statement? What will happen to Lazarus? How will Jesus there in Judea be received? What miracle does he have up his sleeve to be continued? Come back next week. (laughs) But your takeaway tonight, as we close, is simple. Jesus is the light of the world. Even in the face of sorrow and death, Jesus is the light of the world, but is Jesus the light of your world? Personally. I know on a spiritual level, on a global level, a universal level, Jesus is the light of the world, but is he your light in your specific world? And if so, how can you allow him to illumine, to light up, the difficult places and situations and conversations. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage and how it challenges us that even in the face of death, 
even in the somber words that we heard from the Psalms, even in the somber and sorrowful experiences that we go through in life, that, Lord, you are still the light of the world. And that you still illumine the difficult places and conversations and situations we find ourselves in. That even when it feels like we're flying in the middle of fog, you're still there. You're still guiding us. Even when we cannot feel you or see you or hear you, we know that you're still there because that's faith. When we put our faith in you, not in the things that we can see or experience or feel, but in you. So enlarge our faith. Expand us to grow and change and mature. Because we want to come alive in you. We want to be changed so that we can help this world know you and see you as we seek to learn more and more about you. We love you and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much, everybody.